Chapter thirty six of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee, Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three, by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter thirty six. Dieppe, eighteen thirty six. Year eighteen hundred. Sight of France. Arrival in Paris. Having been shut up for eight years in Great Britain, I had only seen the English world so different, and especially at that time, from all the rest of European society. As the packet-boat from Dover approached Calais in the spring of 1800, my looks were strained towards the coast. I was struck with the air of poverty exhibited by the country. Only a few masts were to be seen in the harbour. A population in cotton caps danced along the jetty before us, the conquerors of the continent were announced to us by the noise of their wooden shoes. As soon as we came alongside the quay, gendarmes and custom-house officers leapt on board and examined our luggage and passports. In France every man is suspected, and the first thing one sees in our business, as well as in our amusements, is a three-cocked hat and a bayonet. Mrs. Lindsay was waiting for us at the inn, and next day she, Madame d'Axeau, a young person, her relation, and myself, set out for Paris. On the road we saw scarcely any men women dirty and ragged with bare feet and heads either altogether without covering or bound by a handkerchief were everywhere busy working in the fields they might have been taken for slaves i ought rather to have been struck with the independence and manliness of a country where the women handle the spade whilst their husbands handle the musket it might have been supposed that a conflagration had passed over the villages they looked miserable and dilapidated on all hands mud or dust dunghills and ruins on the right and left of the road appeared dismantled or ruined chateaux. Nothing remained of their felled woods and plantations, except a few squared pieces of timber, on which children were at play. The fences of the enclosures were broken down, and the churches abandoned, from which the dead had been carried away. There were steeples without bells, graveyards without crosses, and saints without heads, built up in their niches. The walls were daubed over, with these republican inscriptions already become old liberty, equality, fraternity, or death. In some cases, attempts had been made to blot out the word death, but the black or red letters were still visible under a layer of whitewash. The nation which appeared to have reached the moment of dissolution was recommencing a fresh condition of life, like the nations issuing from the night of barbarism and from the desolation of the Middle Ages. As we approached the capital, between Econ and Paris, the ash-trees had not been felled, I was struck with the beautiful avenues formed by the road, which are unknown in England. France was as new to me as the forests of America had previously been. Saint-Denis was unroofed, its windows broken, the rain fell into its aisles already becoming green, and the tombs were destroyed. I have seen since there the bones of Louis the Sixteenth, the Cossacks, the coffin of the Duc de Berry, and the cenotaph of Louis the Eighteenth. Auguste de Lamoignon came to meet Mrs. Lindsay, his elegant equipage formed a remarkable contrast with the lumbering carts and the dirty and torn diligences drawn by hacks harnessed with ropes which i had met since leaving calais mrs lindsay lived at tern i alighted at the road to lyewalt and reached the house of my hostess across the fields i remained at her house four-and-twenty hours and there i met with a certain tall and stout monsieur lasalle who was employed by her in arranging the affairs of the emigres she sent to inform monsieur de fontaine of my arrival at the end of about eight-and-forty hours he came to see me in a small room which mrs lindsay had taken for me in an inn almost at her door it was sunday 
About three o'clock in the afternoon we entered Paris on foot by the Barrière de l'Étoile. At present we can form no idea of the impression which the excesses of the revolution had made on men's minds throughout Europe, and especially on the minds of those who were absent from France during the reign of terror. It seemed to me as if I were literally going down into hell. I had been a witness, it is true, of the beginning of the revolution, but its great crimes had not then been committed, and I had remained under the yoke of subsequent facts, such as these facts were related in the midst of the well-regulated and peaceful society of England. Going forward under my assumed name, and persuaded I was compromising my friend Fontaine, I heard with great astonishment on entering the Champs-Élysées the sounds of a violin, a horn, clarinet, and drum. I saw tents in which men and women were dancing, and in the distance the palace of the Tuileries appeared at the extremity of its two large woods of chestnut-trees. The Place Louis XV was bare. It had the dilapidated melancholy and abandoned air of an ancient amphitheatre. People passed on quickly. I was particularly surprised at not hearing lamentations, and was afraid of putting my foot into some pool of blood, of which there remained not a trace. I found it impossible to withdraw my eyes from that quarter of the sky where the instrument of death had been erected. I thought I saw before me in undress my brother and my sister-in-law bound near the bloody machine. There the head of Louis the Sixteenth had fallen. Notwithstanding all the merriment in the streets, the towers of the churches were mute. It appeared to me as if we were entering on Good Friday, the great day of our Lord's Passion. Monsieur de Fontaine lived in the Rue Saint-Honoré, in the neighbourhood of Saint-Roche. He took me to his house and presented me to his wife, and then conducted me to the house of his friend Monsieur Joubert, where I found a temporary asylum. I was received as a traveller, of whom they had heard some accounts. The next day I went to the office of the police, under the assumed name of Monsieur de Lasagne, to deposit my foreign passport and to receive in exchange a permission to remain in Paris, which was renewed to me from month to month. At the end of a few days I took an entresol in the Rue de Lille, on the side next to Rue de Saint-Père. I had brought with me the Génie du Christianisme and the first sheets of that work printed in London. I had been directed to Monsieur Mignoret, a worthy man, who consented to undertake the charge of the work, to proceed with the printing, interrupted in London, and to advance something for my subsistence in the meantime. Not a soul knew anything about my essai sur les révolutions, notwithstanding what had been told me by Monsieur Lemierre. I found out the old philosopher, Delisle de Salle, who had just published his memoir en faveur de Dieu, and I went to the house of Ganguenet. The latter lived in the Rue de Grenelle Saint-Germain, near the hotel of Bonne-la-Fontaine. There was still legible on his door. Here the title of citizen is regarded as an honour, and people tutoyer one another. Shut the door, if you please. I went up. Monsieur Ganguenet, who hardly recognised me, spoke to me of his great dignity, and of all that he was and had been. I modestly withdrew, and never attempted to renew a connection so disproportioned. I always cherished in my heart the recollection of and regret for England. I had lived there so long that I had adopted all its usages. I could not endure the dirtiness of our houses, stairs, and tables, our want of neatness, our noise, familiarity, and the absurdity of our talk. I had become English in manners, tastes, and to a certain extent in my manner of thinking. For if, as it is alleged, Lord Byron was sometimes inspired in his child Harold by René, it must be confessed that eight years' residence in England, preceded by a voyage to America, and the long habit of speaking, writing, and even thinking in English, had produced a necessary effect on the turn and expression of my ideas. But by degrees I began to enjoy the sociable qualities which distinguish us, that communion of mind, so charming, so rapid, and so easy, that absence of all haughtiness and prejudice, that disregard of fortune and names, and that natural level of all ranks, that equality of mind, 
which renders French society incomparable and redeems our faults. After being established for some months amongst us, a feeling grows up that it is impossible to enjoy life except in Paris. End of chapter 36